This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello out there and happy December, disaster divas. We made it, guys. We've come this far, inexplicably far. It is somehow not still March. And like forever March is, I think, what we call this now. Yeah. Um, just the year of eternal March. Uh no, it is indeed February. We have successfully passed Thanksgiving. And Jordan, it's <laughs> December. See? Look at that. Oh god, you're going back in time. No, I mean it, it we've it's 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 time has collapsed, is the issue with that. Um somehow Christmas is just a blink away, followed by the whole goddamn year 2021. And in in order to keep you destabilized, uh, we are going to talk today about a movie that is really um, overshadowed in in its in the pre- by the presence of Victor Garber. But we'll get to we'll get to him later. Right now, we're going to tell you. We're going to remind you. You're here to watch. You're here to hear about. Ice Quake, ladies and gentlemen. It is the day we cover Ice Quake, a movie I could have found more compelling. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think we're going to fall on different ends of the spectrum here today, Jordan. And for once, it'll be me with a little more enthusiasm than you. And I, like, it's not a movie I was upset to have watched, but it, it felt like a long hour and a half, this one, for me. And a lot of it is devoted, first of all, Ice Quake is about uh, up in Alaska, there is a mount. There is a, a town uh, that is experiencing these very um, scary tremors. But the seismic activity is very irregular, and the tectonic plates in the area are such that, meaning I think non-existent, that earthquakes shouldn't be happening the way that they are. And it is determined that there is a catastrophic buildup of methane inside of the like. I would say the mountain bordering this town, but we're talking about Alaska, so it's a whole mountain range, but it's localized on one mountain specifically. Um, and that that methane is creating large cracks, fissures in the in this mountain. And it, it is it methane gas that is spewing out at like sub-zero, like fleet flash freeze temperatures out of these out of these mountain cracks. Yes. So uh, what's happening in this, and it's all, let's just go with real questionable science. Um, from start to finish, the entire thing, this the science on it is just like, oh, well, you you just, yeah. Normally I'm like, you tried. You didn't try. There's no ah. trying in this one. And Got for it. any number of reasons, starting with, there's tons of earthquakes in Alaska. Alaska's in the ring of fire. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, anywhere that's settled is going to have earthquakes. If you have mountains, you're probably going to have earthquakes occasionally, unless you're like dealing with the Appalachian Mountains, which is a different thing. But Got it. Yes, they should be used to earthquakes, but they weren't. Sure, fine, whatever. Um, and then the methane, what's happening is that there's liquid methane that is causing the quakes to happen, but then – 
in the as it comes up through the fissures, it then turns into vapor and flash freezes everybody. Yeah, if you if you um come into contact with this vent of methane vapor that is coming out from the ground, it will just instantly freeze whatever it touches on contact. Yes. Like dipped in liquid nitrogen, Terminator 2, freeze and kill you. Yeah, it's pretty great actually uh, to watch that happen. Because that was a like, cool that was a, It was a cool reveal. Um, and what was good about, so anyway, so yeah, the, so there is a, this, this mountain town is undergoing this. And then of course there is a family who has inexplicably decided to go onto the mountainside that day. Yeah. Uh, the father's like, oh, there have been earthquakes up there. That's cool. Well, we're going to go and chop down our own Christmas tree. The family is, of course, estranged, and they're brought back together thanks well, to the- You mean like they're separated? No, no, no. Emotionally and physically separated. Oh, but oh, but they're they're not. This is not a divorced household. These no, are not but like there's oh, definitely a divorce. Sense of- right, but estrangement implies a very not like we're not living together. We're not talking about celebrating Christmas. We're not getting a Christmas tree. Yeah, the, okay, this family fair. is very much an intact nuclear unit. They're just bratty disaster movie children, and, and, and a the husband wife- who's married to his job. Yeah, and the wife like very clearly is waiting for the husband to waiting for the kids to graduate so that she can divorce her husband. I mean, I can't blame her. He seems to be like checked out. Yeah. So I guess let's get into the reality index of it. Which he's a scientist working, maybe working. Is he working for the military? Yeah, or working he works, with the military. He works for the U.S. military. Um, Got it. And so she's like always in the way that disaster movie wives often are. Is just like. Annoyed that he has to do his job when his job is being a geologist and there's mysterious earthquakes happening. Right. And I feel like if there were ever a time, reality index wise, if there were ever a time that a put upon disaster movie wife would be like, no, you're right, though. This is kind of a thing that you have to do. I feel like mysterious earthquakes would be the moment where you would go, uh, yeah, this sucks, but yes, go do your job. I mean, I don't necessarily because it, the the circumstances would the circumstances would seem to demand his participation in whatever it is that's going on. But he also does seem like somebody who is only too ready to go into the office when he extremely does not need to to not be home with his family. And this is Christmas Eve, and probably and what what seems to be established as yet another in a long pattern of experiences where. They watch dad uh, not be home because he just has to go into the office. Most of the time, I would bet this guy doesn't actually have to go into the office. This one, yes. But I think it's at the point with, you know, and they sit down there having their charming little breakfast together and they're lovingly egging each other on. So it's, I don't know if if this is, if she doesn't seem to just like reflexively hate him, but she doubts that he has to go to work because he's always going into work. And I very quickly believed that about them. Okay. That, that that family is always not the priority for this guy. Yeah, I you know I understand that, and I I will say though that like neither of them see like especially the mom at the at the table passive aggressively in front of the children sniping at the father. I was like, well, maybe you guys should just call it. Like, can you can you just call it and and just be done? This is a lovely house. I'm sure you can sell it and get a lot of money for it in the divorce, but. You're, you're actively, they were actively sniping at each other in front of the children until the earthquake happened. And then after the earthquake happened, and I was like, well, this seems unhealthy for everybody. 
Well, I I feel like I wasn't seeing them as much in crisis as much as I as you were. I feel like I was. They would seemed like a quintessential disaster movie family. They right. seemed like the quintessential, like no more in marital crisis than a disaster family must be because there is always at least one parent more devoted to their job than they are to their to their social responsibilities. What I didn't believe is that the, either of those kids let it get as far as Christmas Eve before they were like, why don't we have a tree? Oh, yeah. And, th- and then, like, he provided some ex- – he was like, well, because, uh, you know, little boy was busy this day and little girl was busy this day. And, like, he kept citing, like, what the kids were doing on the weekend yeah. for why they were busy. It's like it's, – it's the day before Christmas. Christmas tree lots are not only open on weekends – no, they would if they're asking you now, and all of your other Christmas decorations are up. They would have asked you before, weeks before, about when you were going to go get a tree. That was the first time anybody seemed to have brought up the idea of the Christmas tree, and that I call complete bullshit on. See, I, okay, so I, I, as somebody who's never gotten a Christmas tree, it didn't really. I was like, that's weird that it would be like. It seems a little short notice, guys, but I don't know the timing of when one gets a Christmas tree except for the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. I mean, my family- you get a week and a half after Thanksgiving or two days before Thanksgiving amorphously at some point? I don't understand. Yeah, my family has a – we have a, like the – the t- typically like when we were all together in the house, the tree – it's like first – the first – we do go the weekend so we can all go together. But like you could conceivably go get a Christmas tree at any time. Um, we go pretty much – couple days after Thanksgiving. Like we want to have the whole month of the Christmas tree up in the house and we spend an evening like decorating it together. And again, maybe this family doesn't give a shit about Christmas, but the preponderance of decorations around them and the fact that the kids were like, well, why don't we have a tree? It's like, well, they obviously care about the tree. So they would not have waited till Christmas Eve to start bothering their parents about getting a tree. That seemed very weird to me. Yeah. Although I wouldn't be surprised if the mom, if they'd been asking the mom for weeks and finally she was like, I don't know, ask your father. On like Christmas Eve, she that's when she decided to bring, have them have them do it because again, it was a very passive aggressive dynamic between the two of them. And also the father, they've probably been asking for weeks and he just forgot because he's a scientist. Yeah, because um, he's a scientist. Uh, but yeah, it was, that's a really good point there. The family dynamic in the home in general was just a little funky to me. They didn't really start working until they got onto the mountain. Um, because of course dad's solution is we're not going to go like, we're not going to go to the Christmas tree lot and get a tree. We're not going to go to like the scene at Christmas tree farm. We're going to go Griswold style and we're going to go into the forest and I'm going to bring a hacksaw that I don't actually carry with me to cut down a tree on the side of a mountain. Yes, on government land, which I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to do. That's probably entirely true. Uh, yeah, he because the whole he's like they go to land owned by the military and I'm like, you this has to be illegal. You really can't just yeah, go that into seems the woods like it. Um, into government woods and be like, I'm going to chop down a tree. Like that seems, again, not a Christmas tree expert here, but that does seem like Part of the reason why one would have a Christmas tree lot is also because, well, you can't just walk anywhere and cut down a tree. That seems can't confirm it is illegal. Thank you. Oh, hey, there we go. Jason knows this <laughs> from having served. That was what he was in for. Yes, I, 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 I served time for cutting down a Christmas tree. No, a just Christmas you know, tree I, pirate. I come from a, a national park infested land, so uh, ah. I know many of the rules. 
Yeah, I was going to say like 90% of Utah is national parks. And so Jason actually could not have gotten a tree. Anytime he tried (laughs) to find a tree, it was on national park land. Yeah. In Utah, you're not allowed to have a Christmas tree. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It has to just be a a festively decorated pot of chili. Yeah, exactly. With the the angel Moroni sticking out the top. Exactly. (laughs) I... You would not, I, would it surprise you to know that I um, knew families who did have an angel Moroni on top of their Christmas tree? Ta- I was going to say, it better not have been top remotely. of the Christmas tree. Not even yeah. remotely a surprise. Um, yeah. I, I think maybe what happened in Utah was that she had to defend against a family trying to cut down Christmas trees on government land. That's a deep cut for long-time listeners. I, you know, I want, anytime that we bring up Utah, I'm looking for an excuse to, to mention it, honestly. <laughs> this, I forget, like... They go up to get the tree, but they're also aware, the the scientist man is aware that um, other scientists that were on the mountain, I think monitoring these seismic events, haven't come back yet. Yeah. No, he doesn't know. He gets there and he sees that there's a truck in the the driveway of the mountain, basically, and is like, oh, we got the whole mountain to ourselves. Oh, I guess we don't. And just like they proceed apace. And here's where my problem, here's my, here's where my, my, my issue with the movie began. I thought we were only going to spend a little bit of time on the mountain with the family. And we spend so much fucking time up there. And I was like, oh, I, we are still following these parents and small children trudging through the snow just to get down the mountain. Like, yes, so much of this movie is spent not with him sciencing the problem. Yeah. And he's also out of communication with anyone else who is. It is really just like, fuck, we're up here. One of those cracks opened in the mountain. They make it to a small, like, shelter station briefly before an avalanche almost kills them where they get in touch with Victor Garber and they're like, this is what's happening up here. You know, we saw this car in the trailhead and the, if these guys aren't back, something probably happened to them. Victor Garber calls a rescue chopper and then it's like, oh, the rescue chopper is going to come. It's going to get them. We're going to get on with this movie. Instead, it becomes like two movies where Victor Garber's camp is addressing the crisis, but they can't fully because they don't have their hero scientist. And then our hero scientist is just on this mountain. And when the crack appears, when the methane crack appears after an ice quake, it separates mom and dad and the two little kids. So then we devote a huge fucking chunk of this movie to parents climbing up a mountain to get around a fissure to get back down to their kids. Okay. So much time is spent on this. See, for me, I actually loved that aspect of it because what often happens in what happens to for like in a lot of these movies is that we end up with that like that lag where there's not, you know, there's like front loaded with disaster, and then there's a lot of discussing the disaster, and you're like, well, give me more disasters though. Keep it going. I wanna see, I wanna see chaos and anarchy and potential death. I mean, there was not anarchy up on that mountain, though. No, but there was like there intermittent was constant, danger. But there was a much more constant threat of danger. There were more, we got a a higher, I felt like we got a higher density of disaster occurrences in this film. There than were we yeah, got there in were, a lot of these movies. And I was yeah. like, you know what? When you and I talk about like the problem with um, what deadly voltage of like there isn't like no one's trying and no. there's not really a threat. And in this, yeah. I was like, yeah, you know what? 
I kind of love that they found a way to keep the threat up because otherwise – because it is an ice quake. It is a centrally located – like it's on a thing. It's not an ice quake. By the way, there's a really, really, really great episode of Ologies that I just listened to last night by coincidence on Ologies. Ologies is so good on um on cryosci on uh cry uh words on. I have no idea what you're trying to say. Otherwise, I would prompt you, but I have no. No, it's I was trying to make the word, and I couldn't make the word the sounds I wanted to. Sorry on cryoseismology. Ah, okay. Which is literally the study of ice quakes. Oh, um, oh, okay. Yes, and so it's a really great episode. Uh, listen to it if you if you have any interest whatsoever in any sciencey things. It's a great episode. I think it's from last year. Um, but anyway, the only way you can keep the family in jeopardy because these are ice these are earthquakes happening on ice is if they're on the ice. And so I appreciate that they found a way to do it that didn't involve like. The kids being wildly irresponsible and deciding to go out and get their own Christmas tree. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is the alternative here is like he – they you separate the family. He's at the military base and then the mom's like, I have to go save the kids. You finish saving the town and then the mom has to go single-handedly save the kids and the kids are being terrible on an ice field. Yeah. And that was the alternative. So I like – I did appreciate and then I like the fact that we just kept getting – they kept finding new ways to give us a disaster on that – on the mountain. I yeah. Think, I think the reason they were on the mountain was dumb. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But I, I actually really liked it. And then it was better than than having Bre- – so Brendan Fair of, of Roswell fame. That's right, yeah. Is playing the dad. And a woman who looks shockingly like Alanis Morissette is playing the mom. Um, and the disaster children – I didn't find them actively terrible. I they were generally fine. They were generally they fine. They would benefit a lot more from their father being present in their lives. You can tell there's yeah. a lot of clamoring and resentment. Clamoring for his attention and resentment because they never see him. Exactly. Yeah, I was like, oh, I see why these children are the way that they are. Like, I get yeah. it. The, the daughter's like, can I spend Christmas Eve at Andrea's? Yeah. And the mom's like, absolutely not. But in my head, I'm like, well, the alternative is sitting around while you two snipe at each other. So I, mean, I get why Tia wants to go to Andrea's for Christmas. I, yeah, and I wasn't even like so much the product of the fighting for me. It's like, well, why would Tia think that there's any priority in this family placed on gatherings and together time? Because her father isn't modeling that at all. Right. And the little boy is like deeply committed to science and want, clearly like wants to be like his dad. Yeah. So he is like, you know, the little brown noser teacher's pet of, of the sibling pair. Although he's not really devoted to science. He is actually a little baby survivalist. He is, he is a prepared child. Which seems again, just to like analyze the child's psychology for a moment, very informed by the fact that he's in an unstable environment. It's true. Um, so he feels that he needs to provide for himself and protect himself because yes. his dad might not be around so he has to have like everything he, he's wearing like three la- layers of parkas yeah he's like an everyday carry person but a child yeah so he is this like poor child is clearly dealing with a lot of neuroses that are gonna come back to haunt him later and yeah they end up on this mountain and uh i, I yeah i in terms of the reality so the reality index of it like guy if you're ever in a situation where you're like the rescue helicopter is expecting us here 
Yeah. Don't decide to leave that here. It's a that bad was, plan. That was really because, like, he they he makes the call. Science Dad makes the call to Victor Garber. They, you know, yell out, yell about the crisis that's happening, and the, he is clearly on the line. And Victor Garber says he's sending up a rescue helicopter, and the avalanche drives them oh, not too terribly far from that location because there's only so far they could run in the time that that snow comes rushing down the mountain, and then Dad decides that the only way to proceed is to go up and over a a like shallow peak of this mountain to get back to what he says is the road on the other side of of like a trail that is fully snowed over it's like no 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 you were just informed that a military rescue helicopter is coming for you why are you going anywhere and he, the, of course the logic is like we can't stay here we've got to keep moving it's like well not necessarily. Like, what is keeping moving? You have avoided the avalanche. Yeah. There isn't anything to indicate that up there is safer than down here where you are. So what the fuck is the point of straying up this big crest with small children in tow to get, I, to, to do what? That was, that felt great for a team of people, again, including small children, that was unprepared for more extreme elements to begin ascending and then like come back down to indeterminate point on other side when they know a rescue helicopter was coming was fully and completely stupid to me. Yeah, it was a, that was a bad plan. Everything about that seemed like a terrible idea. And the whole time I was like, I don't, I don't think that's the the disaster. You can just stay there though. Yeah, you can. You could just stay there Um, because they, they were safely out of the way. There wasn't a, an ongoing threat of ice quakes, you know, in that moment. It's not as if then there was like a big crevasse opened up or something. Right. So and if there's going to be an ice quake, I don't know why going up and getting higher and yeah. into the thinner air where it is just naturally more dangerous environment. Yeah. Why that is the answer. Exactly. And again, going to the main road wouldn't have been helpful for the, you know, rescue effort because it was Uh-oh. a helicopter. The helicopter doesn't need a road. It flies. That's how helicopters work. No. And it it just, it it just was, it was just so much walking. It was just so much walking. And there were, there, there is good disaster density in this movie. And I will say that. And there, it's like the parents and kids get separated. Parents go up and around. They finally get back to the kids. Every so often those like ice geysers open up and start, start shooting dangerous methane, methane gas into the air Eventually, they all get together and they're like, well, it's going to be night soon. And so they dig a snow cave to take shelter, which completely makes sense, except for the fact that they don't dig a snow cave. They dig a snow lean-to. Like, I have friends who, uh, they have um, a cabin in, what is it, Kirkwood in, like, Northern California, big family thing. They've gone for the holidays forever. And it's a regular thing that they do is they dig a giant fucking snow cave up in the mountain and they like hang out inside of it and have fun. And this is like, they dig out a snow cave that accommodates six foot tall men standing completely straight up and walking around. They build like a snow table on the inside. You can really build a serious fucking snow cave. It's pretty incredible. And yes, you can use that to shelter from the elements. What we see, though, is them huddled in what looks like a little cave, and they're splitting the one granola bar that the mom brought with her. 
And then the dad like pops up to fix the roof of the snow cave when like a chunk of it falls down. He just stands up and then suddenly they see rescue coming for them. They've been located. Um, Well, then we get like a shot, like a wider shot of them. They're just in a little, in a little hollowed out bank of snow that they are sitting inside an indentation of. That was not going to fucking save anyone. That was not going to protect them from the elements. It might have cut the breeze a bit, but that was not a snow cave. That was like a snow indentation, a recess in a wall of snow. That was super dumb. I I, I I did not bother me near as much as it bothered you, honestly. I was just like, well, they, that's, I guess, like, it's not really a good snow cave, but it's probably the best snow cave you could build with your hands and no shovel. I mean, you absolutely could build a better snow cave than that. If you were serious about survival and you were like, well, if we don't get this done, uh, the kids are going to die of hypothermia because they're small children at elevation in a storm, in like a snowstorm, or I'm their dad and their mom. And we're going to keep digging this fucking snow cave until we actually have a structure around us. that's going to protect us. That was like, if a survivalist person was like, oh, we, we're going to dig a snow cave and we're going we're gonna to take shelter from this, then presumably they know enough to know that digging a snow lounger is <laughs> not in any way going to do the job of protecting you through the night in the dark. All right, you know what? I'm I'm not gonna again. I'm not gonna argue this one. My uh, my suspension of disbelief on this was a lot higher uh, for the snow cave. Um, <laughs> it was the least they could have done. Like I, it was clearly not structurally sound as this as the roof was having issues to begin with. <laughs> yes, this was not. He he did not really do a great job with that snow cave roof. But you know, mm-hmm. I was I was not questioning it. Um, I thought that I was like, yeah, okay. You know what? They at least they tried. They, I I will give credit to the mountain sequence, the mountain chunk of this movie, in that another formerly identified as crazy scientist they call the methane man is introduced at a certain point, and he has been screaming for years, of course, about how dangerous levels of methane buildup are going to wreak havoc and destruction on the environment. Nobody's listened to him. Well, guess what? That's happening. He and his team like break into the mountain, basically. It's being blocked off by soldiers who Victor Garber has told, like, don't let anybody up there. It's too dangerous. Well, these scientists show up. They're like, we're going to go up on the mountain. Victor Garber orders them arrested. So, of course, the off these these military officers just they, they, they start fucking shooting at these scientists. Like, yeah, that was very believable to me, to be honest. Yeah, there, no, it was. There's there's an earthquake that, like, there's the interface between, like, the scientist is trying to lie to the soldiers to get up onto the mountain. Then there's an earthquake. It causes the soldiers to fall down, which provides the scientist with an opportunity to charge forward and drive up the mountain. As he starts driving away, these scientists of no determinate threat, the military police officers just start shooting yeah, at, the just co- at the car. unload handguns at the car. Yeah, like, um, they were, they, like, the people absolutely could have died. Yeah, it didn't hurt the car, so good for I guess. Yeah, it looked like it, it was that a car Bronco, was but indestructible. It seemed. Yeah, it, I think it was a Bronco, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, that was. It was one of those cars. I was like, that's from the that's from the nineties, and that could have held up to anything. Sure, yeah. built Ford tough. Yeah, um, it, but it did. I as soon as they started firing at them, I was like, that is both accurate to the world, but also that is a hundred percent what in a movie 
they think that the military would do in such a circumstance. Yeah. As opposed to getting into their car after and chasing after them, which is like maybe more likely or radioing up the mountain to be like, next checkpoint, we've got a runner. Yeah, because they shoot at them and they do nothing to stop them. Yeah. It's just like later we see those same soldiers check back in from that same point they didn't, they just like, they were just like, ah, shit, he got away. Yeah. So they shoot at them. They consider that a good day's work. Those scientists get up onto the mountain. They are eventually co- claimed by ice quake disturbances and they are killed. Except for the lead methane man scientist guy who survives, connects with the parents that are trying to get to their kids and the rescue helicopter finds them. Oh my God, it's miraculous. And they can't land because of surface conditions. So they drop a basket to start bringing the parents up and they put the scientist guy on first because he's injured. They're like, you go, you go. You're hurt. You can barely walk. And as soon as they put him on the basket first, I was like, oh, this is not fucking, this is ending in tragedy. And so, of course, at that moment, another ice geyser and fissure open up and it blasts this helicopter with like flash freeze, deep cold air Kit, like you see the basket just get annihilated by the ice guys. <laughs> then you see the helicopter just fully freeze over as it's crashing. You see the like basket swinging around in the air, presumably with a human body still on it. And then it crashes. And that was a very good sequence. Oh yeah. It was cause you knew that it, they couldn't get out that easily. Um, and that was just, I, I, I knew that methane man had to die. Like that was just a requirement. He was too yeah. he was too kooky and also too abusive to his underlings to live. Yeah. That yeah. was a rule. He was cuz he was just like a general dick. Was kind of his he was he was a a a Cassandra warning about <laughs> yeah. he was a Cassandra warning about methane, but also he was abusive to his yeah, his grad mean. students. He was mean. Yeah. Um so he had to die. And that just seemed fair. And then as soon as he was the first one out, I was like, oh, cool. So how's he How's he going to bite it? Um, and I really enjoyed, I got to, like, the methane, the freezing methane thing felt at first to me like an afterthought. Um, uh-huh. And then, but there, it led to that sequence, which was really cool. And also, yeah. earlier in the movie, the, how how Brendan Fair realizes that the methane is dangerous, that the methane gas is dangerous, I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah. Um, so the family's like on the mountain and they're walking and the kids are like a, separated a little bit further away from them and the parents are walking together and all of a sudden there's an ice quake, fissure opens, the kids are on the other side of it and the methane gas starts coming out and the dad is like, hold on because he notices that there's some, you know, he can see gas coming out. Like he can see- Yeah, you can see air. like the waves of gas yeah, like coming the out. air turbulence. And so he cleverly- I don't know that I would ever think to do this, um, decides to squirt water at it to see what happens. Yeah. Which is a choice. Sure, yeah. why not? And because uh, as we've learned in disaster movies, one of two things can happen. Either the gas can flash freeze you or you can get like a fire from below situation and it yeah. can just suddenly with oxygen become, Which we or with don't, water become flammable. We don't not get fire from below in this movie. They do also they manage do also, to give us yes. fire from below. It was they really yeah they it ran the gamut of of yeah. options for that. Uh-huh. So yeah, so he throws water in it and it flash freezes, um, and he realizes that like it's this freezing cold gas, which is better than the last scientist who encountered it because in the opening you have um, two scientists up on the mountain 
And when the fissure opens, he's like, one of them is in a Santa costume. I loved that. I loved that the opening sequence involves Santa on a snowmobile. Yeah. Like taking full jumps on a snowmobile. Yes. This movie didn't have to happen at Christmas, but I appreciated that it did. It was a nice texture. It really was. Yeah. Like it wasn't necessary. This movie could have just been a run of the mill ice earthquake movie. Uh But instead they're like, no, no, no. Let's, you know, let's lifetime this up a bit. And they did. And I I have full appreciation for the fact that they gave us like a fairly – a religious Christmas movie about yeah, they did about earthquake about, about about ice quakes. So yeah, so the, the that scientist like decides that the best way to get across this newly formed fissure is just to jump it. Yeah, and he flash freezes. Yeah, um, which, which was a great start. Oh, That's it was, was a great start to the movie. Great start, and then he flash freezes, and then Santa snowmobile and Santa tries to outrun an earthquake, an ice quake fissure or and, and snow catapulting toward him and he dies. Yes. It was that action, that opening sequence, you know, we've we've this is Paul Ziller, the director's Paul Ziller, um, uh-huh. to pull a Jordan and really give context to this film. It's um, important. <laughs> Paul Ziller for for those who remember um polar uh polar was it polar storm polar vortex. Uh, Polar Vortex. Polar Vortex. That also had a really great opening action sequence in which um, Horn Rim Glasses Guy from Heroes has to outrun a shockwave in a car. And so I was like, you know, good – Paul Zillar knows how to start a movie. Yeah, he he does. And he's not the – he's the Roland Emmerich, I would argue, of made-for-TV films. Because (laughs) he's truly mastered the art of man improbably outrunning a natural event. There is a a, lot of outrunning a natural disaster, yeah. On a a budget scale. And, you know, look, he's got champagne tastes, but a Coors banquet budget. Yeah. (laughs) And he makes do. And I appreciate that about him. So shout out to Paul Ziller, who yeah. uh, well, who's know. clearly very important to this podcast. I, I, he's becoming very important to me personally because again, <laughs> I I love a good outrunning disaster, and he does it well. Good for him. Um, but yeah, so that was the 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 family getting separated was maybe the one part of this I didn't need the kids separated from the parents because it did become a lot more. It felt like I was seeing a lot more of people walking about because of that. Yeah. But again, really enjoyed how many times I was like, that's an obstacle that wouldn't necessarily exist in another movie. But they put the effort in and I appreciate yeah. There were definitely variations yeah. on peril, which you need in these kinds of movies. Yeah. And one, like, one thing I will say I did not believe. Well, I believe that the son would be like, I need, I lost dad's gift. I have to go back and get it. Because at one point they like are almost there. And then the son like loses the gift he's been carrying for his dad the whole day in his jacket. Yeah. Did not believe that the gift would be a wallet. No, that was extremely weird. Yeah. Like we get like a tease of it uh-huh. like, at the at like at the beginning of the day. Like we know the kid's carrying it and he kind of like flashes it a little. And then it becomes like a minor plot point when he kind of loses it. And then of course that leads to like a dramatic gifting of the wallet to dad when like the family's about to be rescued and when the family's about to be taken to like complete safety, but he has to go back up on the mountain to of course use explosives to neutralize the crisis. And then there's like, dad, I have your present for you. And he hands him a wallet. Yeah. 
I was like, is it, it has to, it must be something that is somehow going to work into the solution of this movie. Yeah, I was expecting like a really cool pocket knife Leatherman situation that like he uses to suddenly detonate the explosives or something. Yeah, or like a lighter like that was going to get involved in like methane catching fire and diffusing the vapor. It was just a wallet. Yeah, which... For the fact that he was probably eight years old, like, yeah, an eight-year-old probably would think that a wallet's a really good gift for a dad. Oh, totally, yeah. What, yeah. A, what a dad gift that is. I mean, just handing him to, handing that to him on Christmas morning would have made sense. In this dramatic moment where we've alluded to this gift multiple times was like, oh, well, that's a little anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very, it was an, un, it was a surprising choice. And uh, I don't know what the kid thought that dad was going to need a wallet for on the mountain. Like, I don't know if the Yeti had, was collecting tolls or what. But yeah. it was, seemed, it seemed odd. And I, I was not sure why, why we needed a whole sequence of the sun going back for that. Um, one thing that I did, I, Jordan, I, best actor of this film Quick question. Do you think it was Victor Garber, who we have not discussed at all yet, which is surprising that we're several minutes into this and we haven't discussed Victor Garber? Yeah. Or was it Yeti the dog? What about Yeti? Was Yeti the dog the best actor in this film? I mean, perhaps best supporting, but we didn't get nearly enough Yeti to make that determination I, over I, a okay, Victor. Fair, but I, I no dog has ever seemed to enjoy being in a film more than this dog who was just like having a fun day in the snow for the most part. It was like, it was kind of annoying how, like I got it. I understood it was a very kid thing to do. It did make sense in that way, but it was very annoying how repeatedly Yeti kept coming up as like a, dad, what about Yeti? Where's Yeti? We have to get Yeti. Daddy, what about Yeti? It was like, Yeti is a motherfucking wolf. Yeti is fine. Thank God at one point, I think it's the mom who's like, Yeti is like better off up here than we are. And that is 100% true. Like this husky is just having a very fun time, a very fun alpine experience and will indeed be more equipped to weather the night than any one of these family members. And like, we could have just done like one callback, but considering it didn't change anything that the parents did, like there wasn't even a moment where someone heroically goes back for the dog. The dog just like emerges at one point in the tail end of the mountain experience, the tail end of the movie, and is like able to be reunited with the family at the end. But it wasn't like the kids insisting they have to go back for Yeti, so they have to change their plans to go find the dog, and then they get the dog, and the dog goes with them for the rest of the adventure. That doesn't happen. So they just keep bringing up the goddamn dog in a way that's like, one more mention of Yeti, and one of you is getting slapped. Seriously? The whole time, I was like, what about Yeti, though? The whole time, I was waiting for Yeti to reappear. I I mean, I was I was waiting for Yeti to reappear and had absolutely no worry that Yeti would because Yeti is actually biologically built to be on that mountain. Yeah, he but Yeti- was truly going to be fine. Yeti might not have survived an ice quake where the ground opens up or an avalanche. Like, no. Well, that's true. Yeti, that was- there was a lot of peril for Yeti. Like, if it's just a regular day where they're lost on the mountain, like, yeah, Yeti will be fine. Yeti's out taking down a deer. But- in this particular circumstance, I too would be concerned about the survival of my dog. I mean, it yes. feels like the ground is opening up. I, I'm, I gotta say, Jordan, I am shocked and a little disappointed you were not as charmed by Yeti as I was, because I was deeply charmed by this dog who clearly did not realize he was in a movie and just thought he had made some new friends and they were frolicking yeah. in the snow. I love yeah. that for him. 
I did too. And I think that's where it's from. I, I was very, I was so trusting in Yeti's capabilities that I think that's where we really diverge here. Where every time I heard Yeti come up, I was like, Yeti's got this. Yeti laughs at your human suffering right now as he is outside having adventures with his mountainside friends. Like you said, <laughs> taking down a deer right now. Yeti's getting back to nature. If Yeti comes home, it's because he's doing the family a favor. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So, you know, we've gotten this far and we have yet to talk about the true shining, shining star of this movie, which yeah. is a grave Victor Garber doing so much acting while holding a mug. So much acting. Like a Santa mug. Yeah. Like a Christmas Santa mug. You know, Yeti Yeti the handsome dog. Uh, Victor Garber the silver fox uh. wearing, wearing his fatigues like he was born to them. Perhaps an alternate life of his alias character, Victor Garber in this movie. Um, just gravitas. The man's got gravitas everywhere he goes. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Thanks for taking time out of your schedule, Victor Garber, to do this movie, to appear here. And who, you know, a lot of times in in his in the in the way that military often is in these movies victor garber is like the lightweight antagonist because of course he doesn't want to believe the science as it is expressed to him at first because he's too rational for all that so like the methane man is crazy there must be another explanation for this but at the same time because he's victor garber i wasn't even like oh god get this military bastard out of here i was like you know what i'd listen to victor garber if he was like this scientist full of shit i'd be like you're right victor garber that scientist get him out of here put him in prison shoot him i don't know you said so yeah like i victor garber like you said so much like solemnity in the line deliveries can anybody do like a stern line delivery the way victor garber can no he was so delightful in the way yeah. that he just at every turn was just be like we have to figure that no it's not a, a previously unknown he he talked about geology without knowing about geology as an <laughs> earthquake as as the like army scientist guy and he did it with like a stern fatherly disappointment in everybody so much i just yeah Oh, I I loved I loved every time we cut back to that that one room that he had to act out of. That one room, that one room where the entire job happened for Victor Garber. Yeah, he, I, which I love. I love when you can watch it. You can be like, oh, you just had to show up for filming for two days to collect. The <laughs> you asked your agent, and he was like, yeah, dude, you just all you have. You don't have multiple costume changes. You only have one fitting. And then right, yeah, yeah, um, and then you just get to be in a room all day. And I, yeah, you'll, you'll, I would imagine. I wonder how much of the budget went to both Victor Garber and their lead actor, who, like you said, was a big deal on on Roswell. So, like, I wonder where they were. Like, oh God, you know, we've got we've got three places we really need to spend here: Ice Geysers, Victor Garber, and the Roswell actor. Yeah, I assume that the bulk of that money went to Victor Garber and the Ice Geysers. Yeah, <laughs> because the effects looked pretty good. The effect, the, the effects of the of the earthquake of the quakes looked good. The in general, like the avalanche, it did not. Oh, yeah, look, yeah, it looked better. No, I fully than, thought the avalanche was like maybe archive footage. I yeah. was like, wait, is this like an actual footage of an avalanche here? This looks great. It looked. They did a really good job with it, given again that we're working with the a Coors Banquet budget. It was. And, it was good. Hear hear Victor Garber say the word ice geysers. Yeah. Multiple it's times. so satisfying, especially since, like, he said it in just the right way. There was, like, just the right amount of incredulity and yet, 
respect for the situation. It's yeah. like, well, that's a fucking professional right there. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a bit of the fourth wall aspect of like ice geysers. But then also, hey, ice geysers. Like these are killing people. This isn't a joke. Like I, he just, he walked the line so well. Yeah, he absolutely operated. And that's like such a, a an interesting place for these. And that's where these movies need to live is like, he, yes. He made this movie more believable and that is your exact job. Yeah, in you, these the reaction needs to be, this thing is happening, but never yeah. like, this thing is happening. And that's- <laughs> You're exactly right. And that's a very fine line to walk that only a, a man who also did that on Titanic <laughs> like he also You're was right. like the ship is sinking as opposed to the ship is sinking and that yeah. is important you're right you're right yeah. and, hey god i mean a veteran of the ice catastrophes victor <laughs> that is the through line here is like <laughs> is the problem the ice or is the problem victor garber and <laughs> the common denominator is victor garber yeah let's Happy be honest even the common denominator in the re- the the trauma of that romance, Victor Garber. Yeah, which happiest season? That season involves ice. It does. It really does. Metaphorically, literally, existentially, yeah. it does. I did briefly, and I, I won't get into my thoughts on fantasy casting for too much, but I had a brief moment while watching this where I was like, what if we just redid this with the happiest season cast? <laughs> um, and then all I could imagine was Dan Le- Dan Levy being like, ice quakes and then like making a disgusted Dan Levy face uh-huh. and it delighted yeah. me so yeah, yeah, Dan definitely Levy, yeah. A disgusted Dan Levy face. yeah it's just like oh like the the ground opens up and he just like cringes and looks sort of like like the ground he just like he just stepped in yeti shit like <laughs> real yeti yeah a real monster yeti it, oh I was I did really enjoy that little mental interlude of the entire cast being in this film but anyway um do you think so? You know, the Woody Harrelson pickle question yeah. was the mug holding a character choice or was that in script? I've got to believe that was a character choice. It felt so genuine. It felt like it came from the actor. Yeah. Like, you know what I need here? I need a mug. I, and yeah. I, my, my, my biggest question for the mug is who picked the mug? I think Victor Garber it? picked the mug and he gave I it a backstory. And I yeah. assume that backstory was like, this was given to me by my child. And this, I hold on to it because it reminds me of why I'm doing this. Right. That That's a very good point. That's exactly a man of service and purpose. Yeah. Like soldier Victor Garber would have. Yeah. That this is his whole, his whole backstory is like, it was given to him by a child he couldn't save. And now. Oh God. He drinks from it as a reminder that like the thing that keeps him going is that he can save one more child. Like I, <laughs> I want to we'll never lose another an, another one again. To ne- never to another ice related catastrophe. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I really I want a whole just like Victor Garber monologuing directly to the camera about that that Santa mug, um, which again you know didn't have to be a Santa mug. This did not have to take place at Christmas, but I appreciated that it did. Victor Garber, <laughs> a thespian, a man of his craft. Perhaps a gentleman. I would like to believe a gentleman. Perhaps a scholar. I don't know. A scholar. But, a scholar of the craft of acting, at the very least. A scholar, yes, a scholar of the craft of acting. Do we now the ultimate the ultimate determination made by Victor and company is blowing shit up like big pool of liquid methane. If it escapes and becomes vapor, that amount of vapor methane vapor in the air is going to irrevocably fuck up the atmosphere. And so we've got to explode this shit 
Yes. Before it all goes bad. Well, before it all gets worse. And I, I will give it to, I will, I, I this, I thought the, the climax was a highlight of this movie. I really liked it. Yeah. You know, look, could they potentially blow up a volume of methane that would prevent the earth, that, that would otherwise cause the earth to rapidly warm, sending us into a tipping point on climate change? <laughs> Probably not without blowing up the whole town. Right. Yeah. Did yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed, agreed. Did I care? Absolutely not. No. I respected the decision to blow things up because that is the decision that gets made. Yeah, that is that is the decision that gets made. And I loved that in the like they send out multiple they just, there's an like an oil f- refinery or like keep hold area n- again near enough, it seems like to where civilization is uh, to where it would have like annihilated anybody living within 100 miles. But they're like, we're going to blow up this oil reserve and the su- explosion from that should be sufficient enough to detonate the remainder of this liquid methane. So they send out like. A couple guys, the science guy, like science dad and another science guy on jet skis to like strategically blow up the meth, blow up these methane channels. So what the plan is, is they're going to send these men out onto the mountain with C4 because what they've determined is that the methane is coursing its way through this mountain in like underground tunnels. These like naturally formed tunnels that are turning into methane tubes, similar to lava tubes, which we've talked about so many times on this show. Yeah, I love the integration of cave system. I love I'm it. really I enjoying that caves are becoming a reoccurring theme of danger. Like we yeah, like as agreed. if we don't understand how caves work. So we're just like, uh, they're <laughs> mysterious underground. Like, no, caves are... <laughs> Like cave, like not not everything is underlain by a cave system. <laughs> I just want to be clear on that, guys. Like the That's Earth a very is not good disclaimer, Amanda. Very good. Yeah, like there's a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad science in this movie where you're just like none of that is real. Um, <laughs> but I do want to just like make it clear what is becoming a reoccurring theme in disaster movies. Uh, the Earth's crust isn't Swiss cheese. <laughs> there are, there are <laughs> like truly. How have we made it this long? If there I are know. as many caves as disaster movies tell us there are, yeah, we're not in like a honeycomb sort of. We're not like sitting on top of some <laughs> finely laid honeycomb. Like no, the Earth is like the crust is pretty solid. Like most of the cotton, like it's pretty, it's pretty good there. Um, but I don't care. I loved that there were caves again. I clapped with delight when I was like, oh, the caves are filled with methane. Hooray! Because what a yeah, like, of course, hooray, hooray! Because it's like it's be quickly becoming the sort of like amorphous witchcraft of Earth science, and I love that about this. The, the amorphous witchcraft of Earth science—that should be a discipline at your local universities. I mean, that's basically you know that that is to a degree what geology was up until we were able to like do cool things with science. For a long time, we were just like, I don't know. It's what it is. It's the humor. It's, <laughs> it's the humors, but Earth. I mean, you know. The, the humors. Oh, the humors. That's basically, like, the Greeks thought, amorphous witch Earth science is basically what the Greeks thought was happening all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I loved that they sent, like, they send these people out. The science dad is one of them. Of course, there has to be another wrinkle because, like you said, this movie's great with compounding disasters. Yes. And they're uh, an, uh, on his way up the mountain on the snowmobile where he's going to go to the strategic place to blow up a cave system, to reroute the methane to where they needed to be. A fissure comes up and suddenly there's a wall of methane. And he's like, fuck, I can't get past it because I'm going to freeze. He takes a lighter out of his pocket. And this is where we get subterranean fire. Yes. He throws the lighter at the wall of methane vapor 
and causes it to, I guess for at least a minute, um, it it dissipates the methane vapor. For some reason, not causing, like, this is the thing that kind of held me up a little bit. It doesn't cause a chain reaction connecting to the rest of the methane that it's feeding from. Yeah. It somehow just burns out. Um, I thought that was odd. It seemed like once the gas was burning, that flame would have reached out to the methane below, the liquid methane below, and then the liquid methane would have ignited because why wouldn't it? It might not. But, it might not be that. I'll go with because it might not be flam. Liquid. The liquid methane maybe was not flammable. Like sure. okay, okay, got it, got it. Um. Well, once he 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 dissipates the vapor with the fire, jumps over the crevasse, and then he runs to where he needs to get to set the C four charge, and he's fucking with it, and he's trying to get the lever on the charge to go up, and he's like, Victor Garber's like, you've only got twenty seconds because like he's got to get clear of the blast once he sets the charge, and he's yanking at this, he's yanking at this like detonator, and then he's like, it's twist it's like pull then twist right and victor garber goes twist then pull <laughs> i love that and then he like there's a pause of like oh yeah and then he does it and it works and it was like wow you really took a break for a like like a paul feig situational comedy moment yeah in the crescendo of ice quake yeah where he just didn't remember the instructions properly and it was it was a great it was I don't know if it was intentionally hilarious or not, but I truly I was like, yes, thank you all for that little like of course you you would in the in the in the heat of the moment forget what what order the complicated deployment mechanism is. And by the way, that that to go back to your point about the uh about the sun's terrible gifting, that <laughs> that lighter was from the sun. Oh, you're right. You're right. Because that was the son had it on his like survivalist body and the dad had taken it to use. Survivalist body. Yeah. And the dad had taken it to like, I don't know, melt things, melt snow. So I did, I did enjoy that. I I was like, okay, cool. That makes the wallet not having a job to to do even weirder. Yeah. Because clearly the boy gives the, the dad practically, and again, a wallet is a great gift for a dad from a little boy. Like that, that makes so much sense. The way that it played out in the movie was like, oh, it didn't come into some MacGyver use of how it was going to save the world. So when he saw him again, when they were reunited at the end, it would have been like, couldn't have done it without your gift. Like that was the kind of setup we, that was the kind of payoff we were set up for that we really did not get. Yeah, it was, it was again, just a weird choice, especially given that the lighter reappeared. But, uh, you know, they just wanted to ground it in some realism and the son got his dad a really useless gift. That's just what it was. <laughs> I, I, it was such an inex- when when he went back for it, and then the reveal was a wallet. I was like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, okay, sure. But you know what, Dad? Obviously, as we can guess, makes it out of the blast zone. Yeah, and then second scientist guy who sets a C four charge. We even get a moment with him where he gets to outrun the disaster too. And he gets out of the blast zone in time. And then we are watching the methane, you know, with bated breath, obviously, as it they have a they have like satellite imaging, I guess, of the methane coursing its way through this cave system. The C4 charges have successfully collapsed the cave system at strategic points. It has rerouted the liquid methane all toward this oil depository. And once it is underneath this oil place. It's not a, I don't think it's a refinery. Like, it's just like an oil storage area. Yeah, it's like a holding zone, surprisingly close to a ski resort. (laughs) Yes, surprisingly close, ominously close. And then they, of course, set charges strategically there. So when the methane is under it, they blow the oil preserve fucking sky high. And I guess the force of that explosion is enough 
to ignite the liquid methane and then basically evaporate the problem entirely. Yes, that is a thing that happens. Um, and liquid methane is flammable. I I don't know, man. Sure. Yeah, I'm like talking that one up. I was just like, wow, because they were they, that was it was an interesting thing to me where they kept talking about like we don't have explosives big enough to address this much methane. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have enough. We don't have enough bomb. Yeah. To get rid of all this methane. It's like, but wouldn't there be a chain reaction of the methane where once it ignited, it's a big interconnected like pool of pool and like gas lines of methane. It's, it's it's like you have gas coming coming out of a propane tank. If you light that on fire, like you're in danger of lighting that entire propane tank on fire. It's not just going to be like, oh, it's going to stop once the you burn up six inches of propane like vapor. No, it kind of like keeps going. When things keep, when things catch fire, they keep burning. Yeah, if you can to provide accelerants. Yes. It, like, if anything, the big problem would be that, like, now you're in a situation much like in um, On Hostile Ground, where, remember, they had that underground peat fire burning that created a cave. Now right. The peat fire. Yeah. Now you're just going to end up in a situation where, like, there's this underground methane that's just on fire all the time uh, <laughs> until all <laughs> the methane like, is burnt off. It's going to be, like, that amazing – uh, movie, the name I'm, which I'm forgetting right now, with Demi Moore and John Candy and Chevy Chase, where they end up at a strange manor on a hill that sits atop a forever burning fire. Um, and it's a strange situational comedy that involves uh, Digital Underground. Yeah. Okay. I don't know this yeah. movie at all, but yes, that it is. It would be like it would be exactly like that. It would be exactly like that. Exactly like that. So yeah, that's uh, it was. But again, nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble, ladies and gentlemen. Check that movie out. Anyway, <laughs> but again, I, once you get to the point where they're like, "We're gonna blow it up," I'm just like, "Yeah, that's impeachable logic." Yeah, unimpe- yeah. unimpeachable logic. I'm sorry, yeah. unimpeachable logic. When in, as you know, when in doubt. Explosive power. Yeah, that's the disaster. Like the disaster movie rule. I I'm using it in my movie. I don't see why you can't <laughs> use it in all the movies. Um. So yeah, I think that Jordan. I I believe that takes us to the end of the reality index. We get another Paul Ziller, uh, mm-hmm. surprise reveal where it turns out that the dad survives. An almost beat for beat ending to uh pull to polar vortex where like the family looks sad. And no one has informed them that he's still alive. Yep. And then the dad shows up easily carrying a Christmas tree. One shouldering a Christmas tree. He's really like, he's selling it too. He's got that Christmas tree over his shoulder. He's like, I'm going to hide my face. I'm going to hide my face. They're not going to see me. They're going to see me. Hey, family. And then like dramatically whooshes the tree down off his shoulder onto the ground. Yeah. I don't know the average <laughs> weight of a go. Christmas tree, but I feel like they're, they weigh more than that. I mean that was a that was a that was a bit of a short tree. I they I think they gave him a very manageably sized tree so it didn't just like obstruct the field of view and maybe take out an extra because like trees are they're they're cumbersome they're unwieldy. Yeah, but he did it. He he saves the town and can one hand carry a tree. What can't he do? <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. Save the world from dangerous buildup of methane. Now he can be a father and a present husband. Yeah, because and all the earth problems are solved. Yeah, all the earth problems are solved. Victor Garber surely will teach him to be a better man um, because he's a holistic leader. It's not just about the job. It's about the person. That's true. Um, 
so yeah, so I think that takes us to the end of our reality index, Jordan, which you know what that means it's time for. That means it's time to let you guys, to remind you, let you know, you know, you've been here before or you should have, uh, to remind you guys that, you know, folks, do you love movies, the good ones, even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts advocating for the immediate production of a third national treasure to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for all those in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and to filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly 100% water-based inks, and they ship with a compostable poly mailer for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order using the code SUPERFRIEND, so that's all caps, no spaces, SUPERFRIEND, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. That's S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I.com. Let's watch more movies. Let's watch more movies. And let's hope as many of them as possible include Victor Garber. Yeah. Which I feel, you know, I have a suspicion he will stay involved in our dream casting now that we've arrived at it. Uh, yeah. But what what we but for now it's it's what is this movie really about? Oh man, Jordan, do you want to start or should I? I mean, I feel like all I feel like it for me, it comes it comes down to that family unit. Yeah. You know, it it's so much as we see I like the backstory that you've teased out with Victor Garber and his mug and the importance that he has has learned, obviously, about the value of human life and being there for people and carrying that Santa mug that was a gift from a child to him that we can consider the 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 character Bible now. Um, and we see this absent father and we see this mom who's just at the end of her rope and like the little girl at the end, she tells her dad like that. She, first of all, this like 12 year old is talking about colleges she's going to go to. She can't be older than that. No. And also she's the like, dad is very surprised by the fact that she's even looking at college. Like this is an entirely new conversation that has been brought up to by the daughter, apparently. Yeah. Well, I personally was surprised she's looking at colleges because I assumed she was in like the seventh grade. Yeah. So when she's like thinking about where she's going to go to school and they're like, they're, they have this touching moment in the, in the fake ice cave, in the fake snow cave, when she's talking about how she wants to go to school for either like geology or I think like physics. Yeah. And she's like, I'm a nerd. See, dad, like I'm a nerd like you. It's like absolutely nothing about your character to this point has actually suggested you have any interest in that whatsoever. Like he looks kind of surprised in a way that's like, actually, I don't blame you for being surprised right now, dad. I don't think this is a project of product of your dereliction of your parental responsibilities. I really think that this is coming out of nowhere because this whole girl, this whole girl's this deal, her whole deal so far is that the little boy is the one who knows. And she's kind of like constantly unsure of what's going on. So yeah, I was as surprised as he was to hear that his daughter was like an enthusiast in his professional field. Um, again, at maybe 11 or 12 years old. Maybe I just don't understand how young kids are these days. Um, but we have an a, a, a world that is falling apart around this man in a both global, a, a, both, a both natural and environmental sense and a nuclear family sense. So as he has... As he has been derelict in his duties to his family, uh, 
the nuclear family unit is coming apart. And as that is happening, the world, the geological fabric of the world is also coming apart. And he has to get involved. He has to get the family together. He has to take an active role as a member of this unit in order to put things back together again, in order to save the world, in order to save the family. Think lo- think locally, save that one person, have an effective acting globally. I think what we're dealing with here is perhaps this was all a snow globe experience and it was a dream the man had to where he had to metaphorically protect the mountain, protect the community and stop the methane amassing underneath the mountain before it you know blew up everything and led to even more accelerated irrevocable climate change disaster maybe just all the dream he had and then he woke up and he knew it's time to get more involved in my own family because my family is that mountain and if i let this go too far there's going to be fucking ice geysers and we're not going to be able to stop the decay of this of of my center the center must hold i i love this i can't believe that you and i have come to Two very similar conclusions on this particular topic. Again, one of those cases where it just proves how true it is yeah. that we both arrived there. Um, you and I both have agreed on the idea that none of this actually happened. Oh my God, seriously? <laughs> yes. <you> agree on? <laughs> wow. I, wow. I cannot believe that this is... <laughs> That this is you and I have come, like, normally if you and I come to the conclusion of, like, yeah, we have the same, this is what the movie's really about. It's normally, like, yeah. it's about the patriarchy or it's about <laughs> capitalism being evil. <laughs> in this case. I mean, I felt like I was taking a distinctly Amanda route on that one. I. But did not expect you to have the same conclusion. So I, my conclusion <laughs> was this entire thing was, like, a Life of Pi style retelling of events where basically this is the daughter in therapy 15 years later explaining to her therapist, like her discussing her dysfunctional family home where like Uh the parent, the dad wasn't around the mom loved them, but clearly like had fallen out of love with her father who wasn't devoting enough time to them. Uh And the entire experience was essentially a metaphor for her entire childhood that she was now retelling as an adult. <laughs> and like the whole thing, the mountain was their home. Wow. <laughs> so the mountain was the home and like the quakes being geology, which was the thing that he studied is the thing that yeah, drives yeah. them apart. Uh-huh. And like the parents, <laughs> the only way that they can truly really save the kids is the two is the parents coming back together and the parents having to go up over a peak of struggle to get to the kids who have been separated on the other side. Um, And then like Yeti disappearing was their (laughs) child was the absence of their childhood because she had to grow up and take care of her brother because like, obviously the parents were always sniping at each other and forgot to get Christmas trees. Um, Forgetting to get Christmas trees was symbolic of like forgetting to create a, you know, a series of like traditions and creating a sense of like something that grounds and keeps them centered Uh as a family. Um, So, and that's why the daughter kept being the one who got injured because the daughter like first hurts her arm by getting hit by a chunk of ice while running. And then, and then she and her mom and her brother are leaving the, are being taken in a a caravan car or in a, you know, an army caravan down the mountain uh-huh. after they've been rescued and then ice quake hits and the whole thing flips over and the daughter like breaks her leg. Um, and then the mom just in a great moment, the mom goes around to the front, 
to to drive the car just shoves the still alive soldier out of the way. Who is yes, when she lifts up his legs I to know. sit in the driver's seat, she just like because he's face down on the seat, yeah. so she just like lifts up his legs, bending his knees and like sets them aside. Yeah, it was. I I really enjoyed that mo- that decision of like he's okay, he'll be fine. Whatever, I got to move this car. Um, <laughs> but the, all those injuries keep happening to the daughter. So I was like, that's why it's clearly the daughter is the one telling the story because like these are the injuries, these are the scars and the burden she's carrying, and then like that she needs crutches and what these crutches are, are probably like. <laughs> she needs- The crutches are probably like an eating disorder and like Mm -hmm. light substance abuse and bad decisions with men. Um, And so, yeah, I, I did not think this was centered on the dad. I, I believed that this was all the narrative of the daughter and uh, you know, maybe the, maybe Victor Garber was like the grandfather she never had, you know? Oh God! I mean, that's a great idea. Yeah. So that was. I feel like Victor, Grand, Victor Garber is like the uncle or grandfather or father all of us never had. Uh, yes. So that was. That's where I really. That's what I thought this movie was really about. I just can't get over the fact that you and I both thought it was the entire movie was a metaphor that didn't happen at all. <laughs> I, I can't. Yeah. That we have like the Tommy Westfall yeah. snow globe nation go us so that's clearly clearly that is actually this is this is canon now when jordan and i agree on a topic like this it means it's canon (laughs) yeah no that's uh i don't know how you could i don't know how you could i don't know how you could deviate from that that's it that's it that's all it is so congratulations icequake you're a movie about a thing that didn't actually happen (laughs) (laughs) yes absolutely um jordan fantasy casting wise what are you doing? I well, obviously, I feel like one has to keep Victor Garber. Oh yes, like I, I feel like he is the he is the sun around which this all revolves. So you've got Victor Garber, and then for my for my scientist dad, I am gonna go with. I just I don't know why I want to go with Demian Bashir. Okay. I I I feel like he is he is like a he's great at like a rugged look and he he too feels like a a wise but possibly broken authority figure like he's seen too much and I I would I would trust him in a I would trust him in a crisis situation mm-hmm. and I'm going to I'm going to pair him with she's a slightly younger actress but I think it 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 works still with what I'm going for my mind, it's going to be Demi and Bashir and Eva Longoria. Okay. I'm going to bring Eva Longoria into the disaster verse. That's really a place where she should be. So yes. I think so, honestly. And I am going to make, I'm going to, I'm actually going to, uh, the methane man is going to have more of a role to play here. And he's going to be Matthew Lillard. Oh, great casting choice. I'm very excited about. I, yeah. think, I think Matthew Lillard should also be part of the disaster universe. Yes. I, I I bet he is, and we just haven't come across him yet. <laughs> yeah, yes. Like I feel uh, like I feel like there's definitely a movie where he ends up fighting some sort of horrible shark hybrid. Yeah, that would be so much fun. I hope him and Jason Statham are both in that. Like, put Matthew Lillard in the next Meg movie. Um, and I, you know, the the first two people on the mountain. Since you brought him up again last week, the first two people on the mountain in the the cold open will be Ansel Elgort and Miles Teller. Oh yes. Um, we'll bring them back to die. Uh, in in the in the snowy wonders in the snowy wild, um, which one? Yeah, which one is Santa? Santa's Miles. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I feel like Sa- Miles would be that like whimsical, like I'm gonna dress up as Santa. 
yeah. to go. Yeah, he would, yeah. he would think that was really cute. Um, and yeah, and and uh, you know, the kids are the kids. I, I, I'm i going to keep those kids in place. I, I thought they were pretty good disaster actor children. They were. They were. The, the, the little boy particularly was good at not being involved but not really annoying. You know who he reminded me of was uh, Timmy from Jurassic Park. He was so much like Timmy. He had a real Timmy. You're right. He was vibe. so much like Timmy. He was in the style of Timmy. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very inspired by. <laughs> yes. Inspired by Timmy. <laughs> okay. I like and, that. Yeah. And how about yours then? So here's the thing that I felt with this movie. And it was a reason, part of the reason I really liked the movie was that everyone was trying really hard. In in a genre where, like having just seen uh, Deadly Voltage where no one was trying at all. Uh-huh. I really appreciated how hard everyone was trying. Everyone, uh-huh, like you uh-huh. felt the stakes. You felt like Victor Garber was acting with a mug. <laughs> you did. You know, the parents, like Brendan Fair looked very concerned a lot of the time. Mom, who wasn't Alanis Morissette, looked very concerned. I, 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 I appreciated it. So I got to say, if I'm not going to do one of two things, uh, either put the entire cast of uh, Happiest Season in, and remove any geology aspects and just have it be the entire cast stranded on a mountainside. Okay. Um, so Mary Steenburgen would be a delight in this situation. Yeah, where it's just all of them kind of sniping at each other. Like, I haven't seen the movie because it. I just haven't felt compelled to yet uh, from what everyone's saying about it. And then, you know, everyone – like, I would totally watch them all on a mountainside and just watch them trying to deal with ice quakes and be confused by it. Um, (laughs) particularly as you said, Dan, Dan Levy and Mary Holland making the best Dan Levy being just absolutely out of sorts about everything and Mary Holland making the very best of whatever was about to go down. I would love to see Dan Levy in a disaster movie, honestly. Now that, now that I say that, like, I would love that just doing his Dan Levy thing, like not playing anything else other than just like, he would be being like, he, in the way that we're like Victor Garber toes that line of being like, there are ice quakes He'd be like, there are ice quakes, and it would just be perfect. <laughs> there are ice quakes? Yes. And just, like, you can just see the face. Just, the, like, and the just grimacey sort of, like, the eyes get it – oh. It's a personal affront that there yeah. are ice quakes? Yes, and he'd be doing it in a really great sweater, and I just yes. – So that seems like a thing that needs to happen. But barring that, because it's such a cast of, like, people trying really hard, I kind of don't want to take this from them. Because they all try hey, really that's a valid hard. Choice. That's um, a valid choice. Yeah. I just uh, – the other way I would go is fully cast it with like Hallmark movie actors. I just watched <laughs> Please Navidad. And uh-huh. uh, Mario Lopez, what an, what a, a charmer. I mean, if there's one thing I've learned from the Princess Switch switched again, it's that you can have Vanessa Hudgens play like at least three roles. Oh, yeah. The, the entire movie could be Vanessa Hudgens. Vanessa Hudgens. This is so true. Oh, my God. Vanessa Hudgens in the Princess Switch, uh, Switchier was just <laughs> yeah. so good. Yeah. Again, I didn't watch even the first Princess Switch, you guys. And I watched Switched again with uh, friends recently on a virtual movie night. And they were like, why were we even given the Princess Switch first when we could have had Princess Switch switched again the entire time. This is excellent. Yeah, I was because having watched both. Having a great she's time. having a great time. And having watched both, it is definitely switched. The second one is is Vanessa Hudgens just having the most fun. Yeah, um, yeah. Put you don't Fiona, need to see the first Vanessa one. Hudgens character from Switched Again into a disaster movie. Yes. Okay, that'll be the next one I write after the one I'm writing right now. Anyway, so that is how I, I might not fantasy cast this one. I might leave it as is, not from lack of interest, but because like they deserve yeah. their paychecks. No, I like that. I, yeah. I appreciate that choice. 
I would, I'll, I would, however, have more Yeti. I would cut occasionally to, to just show Yeti is fine and show like Yeti's day out because I was occasionally <laughs> Yeti's day out. The web, the webisode offshoot. Yeah, I was just occasionally concerned about it. Like I was concerned about his well being. Um, with like with the avalanches and things like that. I just wanted to know Yeti was okay and living his best little doggy life. So give me that. Yeah. <laughs> his, his best little doggy life. Um. So yeah, that's where that's where I fall. Jordan, I'm curious to hear where you're rating this one. I'm going to give it a two and a half. Okay. Because I could have been more interested, but it it was compounding disasters, which I really like. It is, in, it is important. It's something we oddly, it's an oddly common complaint that like the disasters aren't happening enough in disaster movies we see. And it looked good. And Victor Garber. Yeah. I'm going with a two and a half on this one. Okay, great. I'm, I'm happy that it gets a two anywhere in the twos from you. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, no, no. Especially considering the the dregs of um the horrible lightning movie yes. we just watched being like a basement dweller. Yeah, this is definitely well above that. I can respect that. All right. I'm I'm giving this a three and three quarters. You know, I oh. I'm going oh. I'm going high on this one. Um well. I really enjoyed it. I liked the density of disasters. I liked how good everything looked. I was so impressed by how good most of it looked. Totally true. Um, I, like I said, loved how hard everyone was trying. So they're definitely getting like a quarter point just for like, you you tried. Mm-hmm. And then I, I really enjoyed, like I got to say, I liked that it was a Christmas themed. We, I we did so too. Rarely, that, was, that was definitely a bonus. Yeah, we so rarely get a good holiday disaster movie. And that was, I was why I was so excited to kick off the holiday season as someone who is going to be, who from Thanksgiving day on will be watching nothing but Hallmark and Lifetime movies. Um, I, I just loved that we got this. I liked that they, that they decided to tie it all in and it gets a little bit of extra bump for me because you and I both decided that none of this actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Because ultimately, like, yeah, definitely, it definitely bonus points to this movie for existing on a conceptual level where it's just all a metaphor and it didn't actually happen. Yeah. Very, very bold stuff. It was, it was, it was, I appreciate when a movie takes, takes and it makes an effort and I feel like whether they meant to or not, it, it reached, it overreached in a good way. Yes. Okay. Yes. I will agree with that. Okay. So I guess that brings us to what we'll be watching next week. And that is, we're going vintage next week, guys. Woo-hoo! Next a week's vent. episode is City on Fire from 1979. Featuring the featuring the thrilling actor Leslie Nielsen, we've got yeah Jordan. We've got more than just we've got more than that. We've got some pod faves here. We've got Henry. <laughs> we've got Henry Fonda. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But most excitingly, guys, Shelley fucking Winters. Oh my god, you didn't even say that I before. Know. This is a surprise to me too, everybody. I was saving that to ha- hear your reaction on pod. Oh, that is Bell Rosen in the house, ladies and gentlemen. Bell motherfucking Rosen <laughs> as Nurse Andrea Harper. Amazing. Oh, I'm so happy about yeah. that. I'm so excited. I'm so excited about this. We also, it's also got Ava Gardner's in it. This is going to be a film. A true, a, 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 a true classic ensemble of a disaster movie that you, you, I just, God, I hope we move back toward that. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. I'm so looking forward to it for all of us. What happened to them could happen to you in any city, anywhere. <laughs> like, Powering Inferno was basically if, like, present day, you made 
a disaster movie with like Robert Redford and Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts and Tom Hanks. Like that's the level that Towering Inferno was working at. I want to get back to that. I I think we can do this. I think you and between the two of us, we're going to pressure a prestige director. Between me and you and friend of the pod, Paul Fee. Yeah. Um, we have to be- keep believing in this. I I just. <laughs> I think we can wear. I think we can wear down <laughs> our most dapper disaster diva into just being like, fine. <laughs> call up Blake Lively, make her get her husband on board, and have them just call, <laughs> just call their friends. It can take place at Taylor Swift's summer home. Like I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know, man. No, that's that's great news. I, I like that as a. I like that as a, a pivot from this week so yeah. to keep you guys feeling like we're giving you good disaster texture. Yeah, we try to try to switch it up and uh, so that's what we've got coming up and that is available on streaming on Amazon so you don't even have to pay for it if you've got Amazon Prime which I will point out like I understand if you don't want to have Amazon Prime. Um, of course, of course. It is available for rent elsewhere and uh, that's what we'll be coming back to for next week. So Jordan, let's uh, before this cursed episode gets cut off again yes. or something. Well- where can we find you? Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a real effort. No, to, we almost uh, forgot. No, I'm sorry. There is one yeah, more thing. We want to read yeah. some reviews. We do want to read oh, some reviews. Okay. I, but, to, but to continue the thought that Jordan was about to express, because a lot of listeners may not fully know that this episode's been a disaster. Uh, yeah, it has been, this has been a disaster episode. Yeah, I currently have the most notes I've ever taken during an episode <laughs> uh, for the edit. I literally, I have almost an entire page of, of edit notes right now, which is uh, unheard of for this show. <laughs> And we've been recording for two hours, which is only yeah. something we've done with Paul. And this episode is yeah. not going to be a two-hour episode. No, no, no. But like, coming, it's gonna it's gonna find its way to your ears and your Spotify podcast playlist. Yeah. Let's There's let's been... not. Well, let's wait till this is actually up before we make that. that yeah, true. I know. I'm 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 very curious about uh, uh, one of one of our tracks. We've had uh, you know internet cut out. We've had plumbers. We've had uh, I slept in. Um, <laughs> There's, we had to reschedule twice because had to reschedule twice. <laughs> first because of of what, something oh ske- time differences and then second because yep. of a tangential COVID related emergency. Yeah, this has been the the disaster movie of our podcast. This has Truly. been the 2020 episode of Disaster Girls. Yeah, one day, one day when we're like billionaires off the backs of this podcast, we'll we'll do an oral history of, uh, of how this episode <laughs> came together. Anyway, let's uh, let's knock out, let's optimistically yeah. knock out some reviews from our disaster. So viewers. we we've mentioned before that there were some international reviews that we were not seeing for a while. Um, iTunes only gives you the reviews that are that are local to your region, uh, and so we've missed a few of our our international listeners uh, uh, for the last you know year and a half or however long we've been doing the show. Um, so we wanted to kind of go back through the 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 annals of history and uh, yeah. read some of these international reviews. Um, the first one uh, is coming from Canada um, from user L hyphen A, uh, who says five towering infernos, of course, along with a five star rating uh, and said, this podcast is a goddamn delight. I never get a chance to watch the actual movies, but it doesn't matter. This podcast delivers everything I need to know about these movies and probably more like how I need a remake of a movie I've never seen featuring The Rock. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Of course you do. That is, and we 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 appreciate our listeners in the Great White North. Uh, uh, keep that keep that disaster diva uh, a flag flying, and let let all the other uh, 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 Mounties and and whoever else know about the podcast. Um, 
this is another review from December of last year. Uh, it says, love this podcast. This is from AK1977. And they give us five stars, of course. Uh, they say, it's a lot of fun to listen to Jordan and Amanda talk about disaster movies. Give it a try. You will not regret it. Uh, and it should be a goal for Jordan to make Amanda cry laugh in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> cry laugh? You don't know which. It's... <laughs> This definitely, the, the past year has had a lot fewer instances because I'm not normally sitting across from Jordan watching her just <laughs> look true. at my face. And that really Jordan, just Jordan's compounds great. it. Jordan's yeah. a master at the uh, the intense stare. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like when we, like when we're, when we're on a video feed with one another, I feel like I'm good at y- working the camera to feel like we're really present with one another. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. normally I'm not totally paying attention to the camera because <laughs> I'm needle pointing to keep my hands busy. Um, and sure. yeah, it's just in a different, but I miss, I miss Jordan just inciting the cry laughter as well. <laughs> so and me I, too. I hope I in 2021. <laughs> Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> I miss wrangling animals uh, during the show. Yeah. That is, that is a major part of your job. That is absolutely a part of the producing job. <laughs> yes. Um, here's uh, So that one was from Norway. Here's another one out of Canada uh, titled The Most Succinctly Linked Podcast. Yes. Uh, saying uh, this is from... Succinctly linked. Some succinctly linked. That's a, that's a Jordan phrase if I've ever heard one. Oh, yeah. Um, so many consonants to dig into. <laughs> this is from M.O. Rebund. Uh, uh, they gave us five stars and said, fast-paced movie recap podcast that makes you feel like you watched the movie. That's a perfectly, you know what? What a succinctly linked review. That's true. That's, <laughs> that's very true. That's very thematically together. Absolutely. Um, and what do you say we do uh, one more here out of Mexico? Let's do one more um, out of Mexico. Uh, the title is Contagious Enthusiasm, and this is from Oscaraga uh, uh, via Apple Podcasts. This is five stars. Um, what I find most amazing of this podcast is how they manage to make you care, laugh, and even appreciate some of the dumbest Hollywood-esque movies out there. Uh, their chemistry is great and makes me laugh out loud. Highly recommend it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, and thanks to Absol- all our disaster divas who have been doing these reviews. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you so yeah, much. We do appreciate it. We yeah. are, uh, you know, we're caught up to January of uh, of this year. Um, so we, we haven't gotten into any COVID era international reviews yet. Um, uh, so we, we will we will save the next one, which is uh, from the Philippines from August. We'll save that until the next episode. All right. So, guys, if you haven't already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, do those. That way we can keep reading those those reviews and feeling your, your praise and the light shining upon us in these dark times. Of course. And uh, so, Jordan, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at JorCru, J-O-R-C-R-U, or uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Cruciola. And you can obviously hear me here, and you can hear me on my horror-specific podcast with my friend, the director, Sam Weinman, called Ots Tyrion. So if you like horror movies that sprung out of the uh, millennium and millennia adjacent era do drop in. All oh, right. Yeah. And, and spell that really quick for us, Jordan, because I think some people might not know how to spell. Austerion is weird. Yeah. A-U-G-H-T-S-T-E-R-I-O-N, which is a weird thing to even spell out loud because it's like, mm-hmm. this is a crazy, stupid word that doesn't exist. Crazy word. Crazy, stupid word. My favorite. But you've got the SEO. <laughs> we did. We got the SEO. <clears throat> All right. And then Jason, Amanda. 
Where can we find yes. you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jason Halftones. Uh, it's, you know, uh, random uh, rants about comics and art um, and occasionally Jane Lynch memes. So many Jane Lynch. <laughs> I love the Jane Lynch meme, so I'm good with it. Yeah, that's after I saw all of yours, and really the Batman one is probably my favorite. I started doing them for the, on the disaster on our podcast uh, account because they're so good. N- never has a meme format so fully um, um, really encapsulated my uh, curiosity and passion. Uh, I've, I'm not normally a meme boy, but this one really got me. I've I've, I've enjoyed so, it. it. It might be my favorite meme. Yeah. It, it might be my favorite meme. Because I just, that was such a tremendous moment in Glee. Sure. Like, I remember hearing Jane Lynch and just, I am going to create an environment that is so toxic. <laughs> and just how that so corresponds with things can go on Twitter. Yeah. Like, it is so good by itself and then it can just become so many other things yeah. mm-hmm. and work just as well with that face behind it. Mm-hmm. It, it, is, it is a great bedrock meme. It's, yep. Yeah. So Jason does really create, creating the, some peak Jane Lynch <laughs> on Glee memes <laughs> over at Jason's account. It's fun. And then Amanda, where are they finding you? You can find me. I'm Amanda R. Tubbs, and that's Tubbs with two Bs. Two uh, Bs. <laughs> And uh, I'm just over there. It's not baseball season anymore. So I'm mostly just tweeting about whatever comes across my brain. Um, Yeah. And that's really where I am. And uh, you can find the podcast. We're disaster underscore pod on Twitter. We're disastergirlspod at gmail.com. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe. Please interact with us on the Twitter account. Share us on Twitter. Um, we love it. We tell do. your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your family. You know, you're not seeing them at Christmas. So uh, why don't you all Zoom Zoom together yeah. to discuss? <laughs> um, I will wrap, say. Wrap an episode of the podcast up and, and mail it to them for Christmas. That'll be their gift and they'll be happy with that. That is. We're, we are, we're 50, I think we're at like 59 or 60 episodes. We are so many hours of family time. We're, <laughs> we are. We really are. We're your family now, guys. Yes. <laughs> we are. We are. And I recently watched the 2006 remake of the movie Black Christmas, where that is unquestionably the theme of the film. And I just the amount of I I am your family now that has been running in through my mind just now. Amanda, we are truly psychically linked in this episode. That, that's that's what it is, is it's maybe that's why this episode has been so cursed, because our brains <laughs> should never be psychically linked. Yeah, we need the distance. Yeah, that's you and I should not. This is you and I should not meld into one brain. It's just so dangerous. <laughs> the level of thirst alone is is oh man unstable. Yeah. Like in order to stabilize it, you'd have to blow up that level of. Thirst. You'd have to blow it up. You'd have to blow it up. You would need the correct amount of C four. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I guess uh, we'll see y'all back next week for City on Fire with Shelly fucking Winters. Yeah. We will see you and you will see Shelly Winters then. All right, bye, bye guys. Friend. That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs> <laughs>